The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Justice for all. Over 700 of you have signed up to participate in small groups that's going to be studying that. We look forward to see what God's going to do through our body in the weeks ahead. Uh, one of the great delights we've had in the past few years is getting to know Stuart and Jill Briscoe via Linda Strom, who attends TBC, who has a prison ministry. She and Jill are very best friends. There's a table in the hallway. It has uh, Jill's books on it, and uh, Stuart's books will arrive sometime this next week, we hope. And uh, they get uh, burned. And Come on up and join me, brother. Uh, welcome, Stuart Briscoe. And... Uh, So Stuart's books got, uh, they, they were sent by postal, there was a fire somewhere, and uh, the Briscoe's books got burned. So what a deal, man. First time ever a book burning with the Briscoe's. We'll have more next week. Amen? <laughs> uh, Stuart's one of my heroes. we uh, delighted to have him back with us at TBC. Thank you, brother, for being with us. Thank you for the strong word you're going to bring. Thank you, Gary, very much. Good morning. It's good to be back here in Temple with you, and I thank you very much for the invitation. The topic that we are beginning today, at least that's my understanding, is on biblical justice. And so we're going to turn immediately to two uh, passages in the Old Testament that are probably the best-known statements on the subject of biblical justice. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to the prophecy of the minor prophet Amos. Amos. If you're having difficulty finding Amos, uh, it's page 985 (laughs) in my Bible. That may be helpful to some of you. the most helpful thing I can say to the rest of you, if you still can't find it, there is an index at the front. <laughs> Just don't let your wife see you referring to it. Don't. All right. Amos and chapter 5. Verse 18. Now, the, the, these are very strong words from the Spinal Prophets. They, they did not beat about the bush, these Minor Prophets. That was why life expectancy was not uh, very good for prophets in those days. You can see why as we read through what he said. Amos chapter 5 verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? All right, now that that needs little explanation. The day of the Lord in Hebrew thought was a coming day when the Lord, that is the Lord God Jehovah, would sort of call everything to account. He would draw the line and say, okay, that's enough. Now everybody come here. And we're going to sort out what's happened. And the the Hebrews uh, saw that as a day in which those who were righteous would be rewarded, 
And those who were unrighteous would be punished. That's what we would call, on the one hand, retributive justice. That is, those who have done wrong get what was coming to them. They will be punished. Or distributive justice. That is, those who have done right get what they deserve. They will be rewarded. This was the way the the Hebrew people thought. Now, uh, probably so far, so good. But, But then they assumed that they were righteous. And therefore, the day of the Lord, as far as they were concerned, was something they looked forward to with keen anticipation. It was going to be hunky-dory as far as they were concerned. And the rest, you know, the riffraff, the people out there, and they, they regarded as the, there were two people in the world in those days, the Hebrews and the rest. And the Hebrews were righteous, so the day of the Lord would be wonderful for them. And the rest, they were unrighteous. Therefore, the day of the Lord would be a disaster for them. So, this is what the prophet now says to them. And this was a shocking thing to say to the Hebrew people. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long? for the day of the Lord. Well, the answer is obvious why they were longing for the day of the Lord. It will be the day when the righteous will be rewarded and we're righteous, so we're looking forward to the day of the Lord. It is going to be wonderful. We will be rewarded. He says that day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. (laughs) Have you ever had a really bad day? (laughs) How how about this one? You're out there going for a walk and you suddenly run into a lion. Doesn't seem very friendly disposed to you, so you decide to get out of there as quickly as you can and you run away from this lion, slap into a bear. Well, eventually you manage to talk your way out of the situation with the bear. You get home, you lean up against the ball, and you're mopping your brow. And what happens? It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house, rested his hand on the wall, and a snake bit him. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a bad day. Well, we can kind of chuckle at that, but he wasn't chuckling when he said it. He said, folks, listen, some of you are looking forward to the day of the Lord, assuming you are righteous and you will automatically be rewarded. But in actual fact, the day of the Lord is not going to work out like that for you at all. Wow. Verse 20, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Well, now he has to justify this prophetic utterance. And he now begins to say what the Lord has said. The Lord says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. 
Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. <laughs> wow. What in the world is going on here? If, if this is what God is saying, we've got some questions for God. God, aren't you the one who organized a system of religious feasts that the Hebrew people should come to? The Lord said, yes. Well, why, you, why do you hate them? Aren't you the one who gave us a whole intricate system of burnt offerings and that that was an integral part of how we worshipped you? And he said, yes. Well, why do you say you, you won't accept our offerings? God, aren't you the one who told us that you inhabit the praises of your people? Aren't you the one who inspired the psalmist to write, Come, let us sing unto the Lord our God. Let us come before him with songs of thanksgiving. Isn't, didn't you do that, God? Yes. Well, why in the world are you saying away with the noise of your songs? I can't stand it all a minute longer. Why are you doing that? Well, the answer is a strange answer. Verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. What's he saying? He's saying the reason that these people are not as righteous as they think they are, and the reason that the day of the Lord is not going to be as exciting for them as they think it will be, is that they are going through all the activities that have been prescribed. They have been very, very meticulous in observing all the ritual that they have been told to observe. But their hearts are not in it. You see, the whole point of ritual is that it points to a hidden reality. But sometimes we can lose the reality that it points to and just go through the ritual. And we go through the ritual and it becomes a routine. And as we get into a routine that involves a ritual, we begin to discover that there's a hollowness inside us as far as spiritual reality is concerned. I hear a lot of Christians talking like this. They're very much concerned, as they should be, about the world situation. They're looking at what is going on in the world, and there are so many things, both in our own country and even more so, I dare say, in many other countries around the world. If you live in Europe now, and I'm a European by birth, if you live in Europe Right now, you're looking askance at what is happening in the Middle East and the endless flow of hundreds of thousands of displaced people and the reactions of the Europeans. And the Europeans are divided on this issue. Some are saying, accept them, and other people are saying, turn them away. And now, the, these hundreds of thousands of people have been shunted into places 
And they said, we don't, we don't know what to do. You have a problem on your southern border here. And Americans are divided, totally divided on what we should be doing about all the people who are coming. We are looking at the rise of ISIS. We're looking at the atrocities that are now being broadcast on video for everybody to see. And we say, how can things be so bad? And then I hear the Christians saying, oh, if only Jesus would come back. If only Jesus would come back. It's the equivalent of why are you looking for the day of the Lord? And we say, well, we're looking for Jesus to come back. It's obvious why we're looking for Jesus to come back. Because we've been going to church regularly and we've been having our quiet times regularly and we've been praying and we've been giving to our church and we've gone on a mission trip a couple of times and so that when Jesus comes, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we say, hold it a minute. Hold it a minute. Is it possible? Is it just possible that in actual fact our spirituality was only skin deep. That it was a matter of routine. It was a matter of our own specific ritual. But if we honestly ask ourselves, what is the reality of my spiritual life? What does it consist of? What would we find? That's the problem with the Hebrews at this point. That's what Amos is talking about. And he says that what God is looking for in people's lives is this. And he's put in very poetic language. He wants to see justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. In other words, he is looking for justice and he is looking for righteousness in an abundant measure that is flowing into and out of and through his people to the world around. In other words, he is looking for spiritual reality that people are enjoying in their relationship with the Lord he is looking for spirituality that is manifested in our relationship with each other. And he is looking at the way we comport ourselves in the society of which we are a part. And he's looking for the transformative impact that we are making in the society of which we are a part. And it is in that context that we begin our study of biblical justice. It is another way of talking about spiritual reality, which is what God is looking for. Now, it's quite possible that uh, some of us would say, well, I've never, I've never heard of justice being described that way. I've always thought of, of justice being, uh, you know, getting rid of corruption in the courts, I've always looked at justice as, as being me getting what I deserve and uh, all these people who are ripping me off, you know, getting caught and getting what they've been asking for. And then justice will be done. And what we have to accept when we look at Scripture is this. 
that there's a whole lot more to justice if we call it biblical justice than what we so often tend to think. Now, can we turn very quickly a few pages to the right to another of the minor prophets, and this one's called Micah. Micah. Micah has a very simple statement here. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. He asks the question, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, he's asking himself a question. All right, I know the Lord. I want to live before the Lord. How do I come before the Lord and what do I bring? In other words, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Tell me what the I's are, I'll dot them. Tell me what the T's are, I'll cross them. The answer is very interesting. He can't say, I'm not looking for any of this remarkable stuff that you want to do. It's not what you bring that's important. It's who you are as you come before me that's important. And he says, this is how I will measure who you are. He has showed you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And here it is again. To act justly, it's the same word as justice, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Spiritual reality. All right, well now I've pointed out to you the context in which the prophets were talking about justice, the context in which possibly two of the best-known verses concerning justice are to be found in the Bible. I've also pointed out to you that biblical justice is a much broader topic than we tend to think when we normally talk about justice. Let me give you a little bit of background information on the actual words that we're using here. So it's always a good thing to define your words. I was reading... Alice in Wonderland recently, which may be a little surprise to you, but I am a bit weird. <laughs> actually, 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 Alice in, Wonder- in Wonderland is a fascinating book. You should read it as an adult sometime. Look at the humor and look at what he's sticking pins in on every page. Alice comes across Humpty Dumpty, which is... Uh, in a conversation with Humpty Dumpty. This is before he fell off the wall and they couldn't get him back on again, you remember? And uh, he uses a big word. And she says, I don't know what that word means. And so he gives a ridiculous definition of this word. And Alice says, well, I don't know what this word means, but I don't think it means what you are saying. And Humpty Dumpty says, words mean whatever I want them to mean. Words mean whatever I want them to mean. Now, I don't know if you realize this. America 
is becoming Humpty Dumpty land. It is wonder land. You know why? Because now words mean whatever I want words to mean. We've just re we've just reinvented, we've just redefined a word that I thought a pretty good idea, I knew what it meant. The word is marriage. We've redefined it. Have you noticed? And we just sat by and said, oh, oh. We've redefined it. If we're going to talk about anything intelligently, we better make sure that we're on the same page with our definition. Otherwise, we're using a term and talking about entirely different subjects. One term that covers entirely different subjects. What is this justice that these prophets are talking about? That's what we need to find out. From a technical point of view, and I'll only be technical very briefly, because I just realized what time it is. And this is all introduction. But anyway, you're going, to, you're going to be doing it for three or four weeks, so this is introduction. <coughs> what, what is the meaning of these words? From a technical point of view, the Hebrew word for justice is built around three consonants. Now, those of you who know hero and uh, no, Hebrew, not hero, know that Hebrew is based on consonants, and then you pop little vowels in between. But the three consonants for the Hebrew word for justice are S, D, Q. Now, you can put E's and A's in different places in there, and you come up with a cluster of words. So when you come across in the Hebrew a words with S-D-Q as the framework with different vowels in between, you're going to have a cluster of words that are all related to each other. Now the word for S-D-Q, for justice, is also the word for righteousness. In addition to that, justice and just, and justify, and justly are all related to righteous, and right, and rightly, and unright, chess. In other words, you come up with a whole family of words. And when we look at this whole family of words, we begin to see something of the dimensions of the justice that God is looking for in his people. Not the outward ritual and routine, but the inner heart that is committed to justice and righteousness. Now, etymologically speaking, is not a lovely word. Don't worry about it. I just like to use it occasionally. <laughs> so that you know I know it, etymologically. That means the origins of a word. The origins of this SDQ family of words in Hebrew is another word that means straight. Straight. So the whole idea from which justice comes is that which is straight, up and down. 
not crooked. Oh, not twisted, not warped. In fact, not only is it straight, it's something that you can measure with. In fact, it is a matter of a standard. Now we're beginning to see what this idea of justice is. This straightness is found in the character of God. In fact, he is so straight, he is always right. So the word that you'd use to describe God is he is righteous. That means what he says is right. The way he thinks is right. What he says is right. What he tells us to do is right. If we do it, we will be doing right. If we don't do it, it won't be right. It will be unrighteous. So, now we're beginning to find that God has a standard. The standard is his own character. The word that describes his own character is holiness. That which is measured up to his holiness is right. When his holiness is in action, righteousness flows like a river. When his holiness is evident in people's lives, justice flows like a never-ending stream. Now we're beginning to discover that this whole idea of justice and righteousness is fundamentally our relationship with the Lord who is right. But here's the problem. The more we look into the Lord and who he is and what he says, the more unright we find we are. In fact, the more we look into it, the more unright all kinds of things are. In fact, one of the things that people will agree on as I discuss them with them is things are not the way they ought to be. They're not right. Which includes me. And it includes you. In fact, when I come to think about it, if I look at God as straight and right, and I put myself against him, guess what? Crooked, twisted, warped insufficient, inadequate. And I say, how did this come to be? Well, as soon as I say things are not the way they ought to be, guess what? I'm assuming there is a way things ought to be. So now I've got a huge question to try and wrestle with. If things, including me, are not the way they ought to be, that presupposes there is a way things ought to be, how in the world did we get from there to here? That must be one of the biggest questions facing humanity. If things are not the way they ought to be, and there was a way things ought to be, how did we get from where they ought to be to where they are? And the only answer that I found satisfactory is the theological answer. 
And it is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he evaluated them, and he said, very good. And things were the way they ought to be. The Hebrews have a word for it. It is called shalom. And shalom is the greeting that a Hebrew will greet you with if you go to Israel today. They will say shalom. And it means peace be with you. But it's not just the idea of peace. It is the idea that you will be at peace because everything is in order. Which, of course, goes back to the idea things are the way they ought to be. So here we've got a problem. We're part of a creation that was created just the way things ought to be. And guess what? Things are not the way they ought to be. So do we just say, oh, what a mess. What a mess. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'll just carve out a nice little convenient corner of Texas for me and my family and let the mess go to it. Or will we say, God's not going to sit idly by and just look at his mess like that. And we begin to put our theology together and we find that the first key word of our theology is creation, the way things ought to be. Fall, things are not the way they ought to be. Redemption, God intervening and putting things to right. Glory, that's the end product of God putting things to right. And that will be characterized by new heavens and new earth, characterized by, ready for the word, righteousness. And there's the story. Creation, fall, redemption, glory. So that raises a question. What does this have to do with justice? Well, remember that justice and righteousness are the same family. And when God is talking about intervening in the affairs of a fallen world, what we're really thinking about is this. God intervening in a fallen life and putting things right. It means God entering into fractured relationships and putting things right. It means God moving into shattered institutions and putting things right. It means God looking at the whole of his fallen creation that is groaning and travailing, waiting for the redemption of God's people and putting it right. In other words, as N.T. Wright says, justice is God stepping into the situation and putting things right. So what is God looking for? He is looking not for people going through religious rituals and routines. 
He is looking for people who will come before God and say, God, you are right and I am unrighteous. And my only hope is that you can be just and willing to justify somebody like me for the sake of Christ. And you can declare me righteous. Justice will have flowed into my life. And if that happens, Lord, you're going to change my heart. And I am one to see justice flow like a river, not only into my life, but out of my life. So that wherever I go, I see that things are not the way they ought to be, and it breaks the heart of God. And I want to say, God, put that right. And if you can, use me. And it means I go around into institutions and relationships and personal activities, and my eyes are open constantly to things are not the way they ought to be. But I know that God is in the act of justifying the ungodly. I know that God is in the act of redeeming the fallen. I know that God is in the act of making things the way they ought to be, and I look forward to the day Not when I will be able to say, I did this and I did this and I did this. I look forward to the day when I'll see my Savior and I'll say, thank you, Lord, for what you did in my life. And thank you for what you are willing to do with my life. And thank you for the impact that you had using me as the agent of your activity. And thank you, Lord, that in my little corner of the world, a degree of justice and righteousness was flowing like a river. And if that's the attitude of the individual, then we look at the attitude of their relationships, and then we look at the extension of their relationships, and I look around this place here, and I say, if a lot of individuals here begin to talk like this, and then collectively they come together, I would say that there's a very real possibility that justice and righteousness could begin to flow like a river. And you begin to see the difference in relationships in Temple, Texas. And it all starts when individuals who say things are not the way they ought to be, including me, And there is a way things ought to be. And only God can get from where we are to where we need to be. I put myself at his disposal. That's where we start. And that's where justice will begin to flow. Thank you for listening. And God bless you. There's a powerful introduction to justice, what it means, who our God is, who we are, and how he uses us. So my prayer for each of us as we embark on this journey together, continue this journey together, God will indeed use our body to impact the community and the world. Amen. Let's thank Stuart for being with here this morning with us. Understand. Father, it's in your goodness, in your grace, in your mercy, in your rightness, 
and your righteousness that we seek to live. We thank you for a Savior. We thank you for the one who gives us the opportunity to be right and to make all things right. And so, Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Bless you.